Hey, legends, you know, none of our interviews or episodes ever date, ever. They are all timeless and ready for you for when you're ready to listen. Download the lot and rip in. This episode is brought to you by our wonderful sponsors at Griffin Air Conditioning. Griffin Air Conditioning offers the highest quality of air conditioning sales and service across the Sydney metropolitan area, providing installation and maintenance to commercial, domestic and industrial customers. Working with this team, you'll be guaranteed the latest services, technology and developments in the industry, as well as dealing with some legendary blokes. Visit griffinair.com.au and tell them we sent you for a cool deal. That's griffinair.com.au. I've been fortunate, really fortunate, to meet so many good people over the journey. This is proof you don't necessarily have to be a big name to have a big story. This is Weekend Story. Some easy listening as I talk to some of the people I've met along my journey. They're from differing backgrounds and industries. The stories are theirs, uniquely theirs. They're inspirational, emotional, intriguing and different. Sometimes all rolled into one. You may not know their name, but by the end of this podcast, you won't forget their story. Welcome to Andy Raymond Unfiltered and Weekend Story. I'm Gladeza. This is my story. We've known or known of each other for probably 20 years, yet this is the first time we've actually sat down for anything more than a g'day, mate. Welcome to Australian Boxing, I guess. We're all so busy. But this isn't a boxing story. It's a story that starts with a remarkable history, both diverse and challenging. 17 years in the Australian Armed Forces, mate. Tell us a a little more. Yeah, so I spent uh, 70 years in the Australian Army. Specifically, I started out as an infantry soldier. And for anyone that doesn't know the military, I guess, that's what you would picture a soldier as being, the bloke with a backpack on, walking around with a weapon. But I injured myself very early in my career. I was a pretty angry young guy. I just wanted to be a gunfighter. That's what I thought. I thought I was tough. I was 17. Um, But early in my career, I broke my leg in two places. The military back in those days weren't very accommodating, and they gave me an option. You get out or you go and do a medical job, so I could become a medic or I could become medical admin. I was never going to do admin, yeah. so I became a paramedic. Uh, I specialised in aviation medicine, turned out to be the best thing that could have possibly happened in my career. I joined the Army with a year nine education because I moved out of home at, before I turned 15, and I left there with a university degree. At um, They paid for my degree at University of Southern Queensland to be a registered nurse. Like a crazy journey in 17 years that was given to me, and you had to be really good at your job. Mm-hmm life's depend on it as a soldier but if you're good at your job they also rewarded you really well so I was pretty fortunate in a lot of ways but then I I worked hard I always tried to be the best I could be at what I did Uh, no ego I just wanted to be really good at stuff and if if that was going to be a paramedic instead of a gunfighter then then I'll be good at that. You said an angry young man did you use the military and the army to get a little bit of discipline bit of structure and and pull your ego back a little? That's what it did for me but that's not why I joined. Uh, I joined because the first Gulf War had started. Yep. Uh, I thought I was tough. 
and this idea that they would pay you to go and fight other people, yeah. I thought this is straight down my alley. So I joined and in that first 13 weeks uh, at Kapuka recruit training, mm. you realise very quickly that you're actually not that tough. <laughs> but they build that into you and I yeah. learnt discipline and I learnt everything that I teach people in this day and age, this 50-year-old version of me, comes from that 17-year-old version mm. of me. And I always think back to... Uh, Steve Jobs, you know, when he was alive, talked about that you can't connect the dots in life going forward. Yeah. That's kind of been my whole life. When I look back, there's all these things that happened that at the time, not being allowed to be a gunfighter and going into this medical career or there's all these things that have happened that I went, that was really fortunate in hindsight. It's made yeah. me who I am today. Or I could have just stayed angry about being that bloke, yeah. you know. Deployments? Yeah, so I deployed in war zones and non-war zones. My two significant deployments were to an island called Bougainville in the North Solomons. Um, they'd been at war with PNG for 25 years when we went in. I'd never heard of the place. Mm. We went in and the whole place had been levelled. There was no infrastructure. We were the only medical facility there. I learned a lot there about uh, human resilience, well, like what we're capable of as yeah. humans. I had a guy that got shot, a local guy that got shot three times with an M16 through the chest. I still rem remember his name, Sylvester. Um, and when we're in overseas zones, we don't have blood banks with us, of course. Yep. Uh, and I don't know if that's changed in, with modern sort of ability, but we didn't back then. So this guy gets shot three times. We do live blood transfusions. So there's a group of us as soldiers together. We know what our blood groupings are and we match. I matched Sylvester, so I gave him two full units of my blood, which is more than you would normally give. And another guy matched him and he gave two full units as well. And we saved the guy's life effectively, or the doctors did, with wow. us giving our own blood. This guy shot three times and he had Panadol for his post-operative for the whole time he was in our care. Never had pain relief before. It, it was enough. We had women having caesareans, you know, giving birth, using Panadol. It's, it's oh. To even think that that's a thing is crazy. And But they're just incredibly tough, resilient people. And it was my first introduction to third world countries mm. through where well, Australia is pretty lucky. Yeah. Um, I then went to Timor less than a year later and I spent nine months deployed to Timor. And same thing, I just experienced this stuff there that absolutely blew my mind. Again, by then I'm an experienced soldier. I've got two young mm. kids. So I've got a, 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 when I was in Bougainville, three and two-year-old becomes a four and three-year-old in Timor. Um, and so, you know, I'm a young dad. I, I experienced stuff over there. I experienced a lot of death. I experienced death of children, uh, which really rocked my world as a young man. I'm I in bet. my 20s. And all of a sudden you go, yeah, I'm actually not as tough as I thought I was. Yep. And and it made me a lot more emotional around certain things. Not, I wouldn't think, to the point of a, of a PTSD, but as soldiers, as medics, we're trained to look after relatively healthy 18 to 35-year-old soldiers, yep. gunshot wounds, those sort of things. And we were dealing with babies and the elderly and trying to help locals. And uh, like in, in Bougainville alone, we on my trip, we delivered like 36 babies. Um, wow. You know, I had a guy that jumped in a boat, got stabbed in the lung, collapsed his lung and rowed his boat for five hours to get to us because he knew we were the only medical facility. And one of my young diggers said to me, how could he do that? And I thought, well – his other option is to die. Yeah. But then since it's made me wonder how many people tried to get to us who didn't make it. So those are my significant deployments, but I've done a lot of, um, you know, stuff around um, – I've done uh, Indigenous aid work, you know, yep. you're going out into communities. I remember in Doomadgee years ago there was big riots. They looted the hospital, the whole infrastructure of the, of the town went fell down, so the army went in and we – 
and, and not in an aggressive way, but our engineers rebuilt stuff, our medical staff like myself took over the hospital and started to run it. And we were armed, of course, and yeah. people probably don't know this stuff happens in Australia, but it happens. Yep. Um, and then I've done stuff around everything from, um, you know, flood relief and they're pretty empowering sort of jobs to do. By that description, you would have encountered plenty of physically tough people. Mm. There's a huge difference between a physically tough and a mentally tough person, which is where your interest is now. And and I guess those formative years probably pointed you in in, in this direction, you know, building better humans. Yeah, in hindsight, yes. Again, connecting the dots going backwards, I look at all of these things and go, wow, a lot lot of these things are around – well, here's what, our belief in the army, which proved to be true to me, is that people who are physically capable are more mentally resilient as well. Yep. So I definitely noticed when we went to Timor, we had soldiers who weren't as physically fit as they should be. People's natural assumptions are all soldiers are super fit, super healthy, but there's people that aren't at yep. the end of the day, but they're really good at their trade. So we yep. kind of let them slip through the cracks a little. I noticed when you get deployed, when you're not – we didn't eat fresh rations in Timor for about six weeks. We're just on ration packs. Um, there's – five different ration packs um, lettered A, B, C, D and E. And this will sound stupid, but for something like two straight weeks, we just got a D pack. So there was no variant in it. It was actually – Same thing every meal. It was sending people crazy. This was literally the same ration, 24-hour ration pack. And all that changed really was a couple of meals in it, but we just got the same one. And every now and then a box of E's would come in with the D's and people would just about kill each other for them. So I did learn that there was a – that there was an absolute correlation. Yep. And so my belief now, everything we do in the Building Better Humans project is fitness, mindset and adventure. But not like I'm 50, I'm not trying to have a six-pack. I really don't mm. care about that, but I want to be healthy. Yeah. I want to be able to, if I want to go and climb Mount Kilimanjaro or kick a footy in the backyard with the kids, I can do those things yep. without puffing and panning and can't get up a set mm. of stairs. And, you know, it's like as we get older, you wake up in the morning and your, your back aches and your knee. Absolutely, and no reason, brother. You yeah. don't know why it's happening, but yeah. I get that too, right? Yeah. And I know that if I put on five or ten kilos, I can carry it well with my yeah. height, but I know my back doesn't feel as good yep. because I did prolapse discs in my back when I was in Timor. You know, I fell down a set of mm. stairs under night vision, 45 kilo backpack. One of those things, young bloke thought, oh, I'm just not fit enough, just keep, you need to run more, you need to yeah. do more and, and injure myself. But, you know, I just learned that there's a definite correlation between our physical and mental health. Yeah. Um, and so we build everything around that. You know, our whole ethos is built around fitness, mindset and adventure. Building better humans. It'd be no point in having a podcast guest if I described it, so I'll let the guest – what. What is the outline? What is building better humans? So I was doing some personal development some years ago with a company and this guy was talking to me, the CEO was talking to me and there was another guy there who was a mate of mine. He bought me an ex-army as well. And basically I just sort of threw out this tagline. I said, at the end of the day, I don't build better teams, better footy players, better you know, athletes, better soldiers. I build better humans because if I can make someone better in every aspect of their life, then they're going to be better at their work. Mm. So you go in and do personal development and if the personal development feels like we just want you to be a better salesperson, yeah. staff aren't really inspired by that. So I teach them things around how to have better communication yep. and then I'll say this is where it's going to help you at work. This is where it's going to help you at home with your kids. If you've got a teenager and you understand how hard they can be to communicate with, here's some strategies. Um, Your husband or wife, you know, there's no area of our life we can't um, benefit from more or from an improved communication. So so you give them that. Now, if we get that right at home and they've got less stress, it makes it easier at work as well because they travel stuff to and from. That was kind of the background. And when I left there, 
my mate messaged me and said, man, when you threw out that line, building better humans, he ran with it and he hasn't stopped talking about it. So then years later I decided I'll start a podcast, and yeah. like, which is the thing, I guess, these days, but I'm talking six years ago. And I spoke to a mate of mine who was at Nova Radio Station. Said, yep. "Mate, do you know anything about podcasts? No, no one could really help no, you. Exactly. None of the equipment existed like it existed today. I was recording stuff on my phone, but I was determined to do it, and we got yep. it done. And it was just started being well. I'm going to call it the Building Better Humans Project. Yeah. Um, and so I thought it was going to be a business podcast, but I realised businesses are made up of people. Yes. And so I've interviewed great business people like the Phil DeBellas and I've interviewed SAS soldiers who are really high performers. But at the end of the day, I just want to help people be a better human. If you can do that, money doesn't matter so much. All the other things in life don't matter so much. And that became our whole ethos. This episode is brought to you by our wonderful sponsors at Griffin Air Conditioning. Griffin Air Conditioning offers the highest quality of air conditioning sales and service across the Sydney metropolitan area, providing installation and maintenance to commercial, domestic and industrial customers. Working with this team, you'll be guaranteed the latest services, technology and developments in the industry, as well as dealing with some legendary blokes. Visit griffinair.com.au and tell them we sent you for a cool deal. That's griffinair.com.au. I've got a lot of high performance in my life. Yep. Um, but I've also got a lot of extremes. And by that I mean I've got a 17-year-old son, yep. Christian, who's autistic and intellectually impaired. He's mentally about five or six. Mm. So he turns 18 in February. He's gone through puberty. So he's got the uh, testosterone and the anger of a nearly 18-year-old, but the brain of a five-year-old. And so dealing with that's actually quite Mm. tough. Um, You know, he can't wipe his own backside. He can't shower himself. Mm. He fully believes in Santa. You could not convince him that Spider-Man or Santa don't exist. There's just no way. He's met him. We'll go to different shopping centres and meet the Santas Mm. because he likes it. And they look nothing like each other. But he's still shocked that I thought he was over there, but now he's here. And he picks up his conversation. And that guy plays a part well because they're good at that these days. But then in my family also, my daughter Alyssa climbs Mount Everest twice at the age of 19 and 21. So I've experienced, you know, what is possible from humans. Mm. And then I've experienced with Christian, when we used to take him to school, he's finished now, 131 kids at Aspley Special School where he went to school who will never have the opportunities that you and I have. And I say to my other, I've got three daughters, whatever you want to do, you owe it to kids like Christian to give it your best shot. If you want to be a hairdresser, a lawyer, a doctor, a mechanic, you want to join the army, you want to climb Mount Everest, doesn't matter to me. But whatever you do, do it really well yeah. because you owe it to people like him. So that started there and then slowly I've become surrounded by more and more high performers. Mm. So I'm not a rugby league guy, as in I loosely follow the league and I enjoy it. And as you would know, I've got all these rugby league players yeah. that I work with. And I think why – and Rugby Union, so working with Big Taniela Tupo from the Wallabies, he's yep. become a good mate of mine, uh, working with the female, the NRLW, Titans girls and all these different groups, the uh, Griffith Uni Rugby Sevens girls, um, a few different Q Cup teams. But they come to me because I don't care about them as a footballer and I'm really clear about that. Yeah. I don't really care about making you run fast or catch a footy or mm. that's not my job. That's your footy coach's job. Yeah. My job is to make you a better person, make you a better communicator, have better relationships at home, the same as a business because that's what building soldiers was about. Yep. I got really good at commanding my soldiers when I understood who they were. 
when I knew that if he was off or she was off, hey, mate, what's going on at home? Is everything cool? Yeah, just, you know, my kids are sick or okay. I had to be aware of that stuff because I was asking people to put their life on the line. I use the same ethos to train a footy team, to train a boxer, to train – it doesn't matter. It's all this mindset-related stuff about understanding your people. And then I take it into businesses. I've worked with the Army still, with Telstra, with – you know, a group of plumbers, a group mm. of doctors, it doesn't matter. Like at the end of the day, if we strip away all the garbage, we're just humans and we're all having this same human experience and it's all really faulty and we're all trying to find expertise in the middle of it and it doesn't exist. Yeah. And so just be the best version of that you can. From where I sit, I can see really easily you've identified that one fixed program mentally and physically, doesn't always work for everyone. As a result, you need to be fluid in your approach. You need to be fluid in your programs. Variety, but connection. Is connection the key to building a better human? Yeah, I think one thing we've learned through COVID is how much human connection matters. We all think we're bulletproof. We all think we're silos. Mm. You know, I've listened to athletes sometimes get up and say, you know, I've travelled this whole road on my own and I think that's that's not true. Yeah, like garbage. none of us have done that. No. Like I don't care who you are. Yeah. You could have come out of the womb with the most amazing talent in yeah. the world, but someone had to give you opportunity, had to identify that in, in you, whatever. And so, yeah, I believe that once we understand human connection, and I think it's going to become more powerful on the in the post-COVID era. Yeah. I hope we're not going to fall back into our old ways really quickly and realise mm. that, hey, you know, we can all win together. So we use in the Building Better Humans project this thing called Ubuntu, which is from the African tribes. And the African tribe or concept of Ubuntu means in order for me to win, you have to win as well. Okay. And so they work on a tribal idea that if there's someone in our team not winning, then we're not winning. And I don't mean winning in a football match. I just mean at life. And so they, to the point where they're quite extreme, where if someone does something wrong in their tribe, as in, I know, steals or does something, rather than, you know, you hear of some tribes where they cut hands off yeah. or they, they actually bring them into the centre of the village and they stand, the whole village stands around them. And for two or three hours, as long as this takes, everyone just tells them everything that's good about them. And what it does to that individual is it makes them realise that I'm actually better than the actions I carried out. I'm actually embarrassed for myself because all these people see all this good in me and I've just gone and done this really crappy sort of thing. And so I love that theory. So now we teach that into all of our groups that if I care about the sum of my parts more than myself – and if everyone was the same, they cared about me being successful because that's what makes them successful, then we're successful. In Western society, we've almost started to believe that success is like cake. Yeah. Like if I take a piece of it, it's one less piece for everyone else, and that's not true. It's literally something that we could all have in abundance mm. if we believe that to be true. And and you can experience that by people my age would know – there was a time when our backyards had fences that you could see over. Yes. You know, that you could step over. They literally might have kept a dog in, but they didn't keep a kid in. You could mm. climb over them. But these days we've built walls around ourselves. I travelled to Africa, Russia, like right out, out back Russia, South America, and, and they're not like that still. They're very tribal. Mm. When people talk about it, it takes a tribe to bring up a child, that is true. You go through the, you know, the really the back blocks of New Guinea, away from the Port Moresby's, get right in, whether it be Kokoda Track or up in the highlands, and there's this amazing community of people. You see nine, ten-year-old kids holding onto little babies while mum's out working in the fields. Like everyone's doing their bit. Mm. You see three generations of families sitting around together. And when I take Westerners to Kokoda, 
They'll walk through and they'll go, what are they doing? Because it's Monday and everyone's just kind of sitting around. Yeah, because there's nothing to do. They don't do stuff because it's 9 o'clock Monday morning and we should be doing something. Yeah. And so what they'll do instead is if, if you need a house, that's a basic entitlement in, in New Guinea, in the jungles. Yep. The whole village will come together and build a house in two days. You've now got a house because you, you, you have to have a house. Yeah. But for us, we've built – this to the point where we can't afford housing realistically mm. and if we do we're paying it off for 25 years and you know my oldest daughter's 26 and I think for her to get into the property market in this day and age particularly in a capital city yep. is so damn difficult. Waiting for lotto. Yeah but you know you go to New Guinea and people look at them and think that they're poor and I think culturally they're far richer because again granddad, grandmother, mum and dad and the kids all hanging out together. How often do we do that? Yeah that's right. What's your proudest success story? You don't have to associate a name with it, but someone through the project that was heading down the wrong road in life that you've been able to tap on the shoulder and mentor and take down a different road, a more successful road. Uh, look, I, I will name a name okay. if that's okay with you, yeah. but for me 100% it's Jaden Nicarima, yep. young footy player. He's a kid that, um, I'll be honest, I didn't know because I'm not big on footy. Now, the Nicarima name... Obviously, it's not Smith. Yeah. So when I saw the name, I thought, okay, he must be related to Cody Nicarina. Yep. And he came in with the Redcliffe Dolphins to do an 18-hour boot camp with me. Like, it was meant to be a military-style boot camp. But yep. I put a lot of personal development in the camp. And he came in with an attitude right off the bat. Just yeah. not a bad attitude. He's a funny sort of character, yeah. but an attitude. And just a rogue sort of kid. And, you know, there's, there's a whole group of them. So I just text one of the trainers, and, and he's also one of the sponsors, who's a good mate of mine, Michael Casablanca. And I said, mate, what's this kid like? Mm. Because if he said to me, he's just a rat bag, I would have given him no more time a day. Yep. I would just go about my business. And he said to me, mate, he's a really good kid. He just got in with a bad crowd. He's made a lot of bad decisions, and he seems committed to them. Yep. But the very fact that someone that I respect said to me, that's a good kid, yeah. I went, cool, I'll give this kid time. And I directed things in a group format at him not just them, but at him. And I just said to him, as young men, you're all going to make mistakes in life. Yep. Now, you are not that mistake, unless you continue to make it. Mm. That conversation and the second conversation was around my son, just saying, I've got a son. I said to these boys at the start, I don't want any of you to say, why do we have to do this? Because you yep. don't have to do this, because you don't have to play football. It just so happens that you're good at this sport, and yep. some of you are going to make the NRL. But I've got a son who would never get to do that. And when I drive past schools where kids are playing cricket and catching footies, yep. there's a little piece of me that says, my, my boy will never get to do that. Mm. He doesn't have that capacity. And Jaden said to me later on, that really hit for him, because his dad had dedicated so much and his mum to them that he felt now like, wow, you know, I had this opportunity and my dad was dedicated to let us yeah. have that opportunity and I just threw it away. Yep. So three or four days after that, I get a message of him and he says, you don't really know me, obviously, other than meeting me at the camp, but this is my story. And he went on to tell me, for people that don't, that don't know his story, a gun young kid picked up one of the richest contracts for a teenager at the time. Yeah. He's a star. He had six teams bidding for him, the Roosters, the Storm, the Broncos, you know, big teams, big mm. names. He ends up signing with the Roosters. Um, he has a, a great first game. He heads over to England, replaces Mitchell Pearce on mm. his first game, like gets a call up a week out. Mitchell Pearce is out. He had a bit of an indiscretion. Yes. People may remember. And this 17 or 18-year-old kid's like, okay, you're in, and he has a gun game. 
Next thing you know, the CEO, the the big backers of the club are all slapping him on the back. Mm. He is the man. And he starts to behave like the man. He starts getting him dabbling in alcohol and drugs mm. and, and he goes on a spiral. He goes on a, a seven-game losing streak. He gets dropped out of the squad. He's back to playing 20s. He's a victim. Mm. They're not being fair to me. And, he's, and he ends up having two drug strikes, loses his career. Four years in the wilderness, this kid. So I start working with him and he said to me, in the last six months, I've wanted to give up on football and worse than I've wanted to give up on life. Now, for a 22-year-old man mm. to message another grown man who he doesn't really know, because this is not something we're good at as men, yeah. and say that, you know, basically I wanted to take my life. Mm. And me being me thinking, it's just football. Yeah. That's all it is. But then when I met with him, I understood that his identity was tied to football. And if he's not a footballer, who is he? Yeah. So he had a couple of games at Redcliffe and injured himself. So, you know, broke his arm, tore a hammy. Mm. He was just having a bad run. But if he's honest, there's a lot of stuff he wasn't doing. Prehab, rehab, preparation, warm-up, like all young blokes just want to go and play footy. Yeah, that's right. So we worked together. I've never seen a human turn around as quick as this bloke. Absolutely phenomenal. Within six weeks, he's a different human. He's changed all of his social media. And I've looked at some of his old social media, which he showed me, and it was, it's not the same guy. He's putting up pictures of the season's over and pictures of eight balls and, you know, like basically yeah. telling the world, I'm going out and doing coke. Yeah. And, and and he was the party boy and he got caught drink driving in that process. Yeah. And his mum works for the police and it was embarrassing for the whole family. Mm. So he, in six weeks, he has a total turnaround. I don't know that bad version of him. I only know this good version yep. of him. But he has a turnaround. His manager messages him and says, is everything okay? And he was confused. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, all my social media is really positive. I don't know why my manager's freaking out. Yeah. I said, when someone makes a change that drastic, sometimes you're going to take a drastic action. Yeah. He might think that you're going to do something to yourself yep. because what's happened. But anyway, he's totally changed his life. I started running youth development programs. I take him out with me. He's 24 Is by this camp? stage. Bro camp. Bro camp. We yeah. started with bro camp. We started we talked to 130 teenage boys the first time and he brings a star power that I don't have. As a yeah. 50-year-old man, I've got knowledge, but you're just another adult talking at them. Yeah. He gets up and goes, hey, this is what this is my life. I tore up a $600,000 contract at the age of 19 and they're like, wow, that's a lot of money. What people wow. don't know is he was in the middle of a Broncos negotiation at the time where they had tabled a 1.2 offer for Jeez. it. So effectively he tore up $2 bucks. Yeah. Next thing you know, he's delivery driving part-time for his mum. He's earning fifty grand a year. Life's tough. Yeah. Um, but anyway, long story short is – he absolutely turned his life around. He's become my right hand. Yep. And he went and got a Warriors um, train and trial deal, but he was injured before he signed it, and yep. he knew that. He got injured playing barrel with his uncles, just mucking around, and he goes over there and he lasted three weeks at camp and he comes home. Yep. Now, the difference is that would have folded him up a year before. Yeah. Positive. Would have been, that would have been the trigger. He's going, cool, I've got a year to get myself ready for the NRL again. And just starts mm. training. And as may, most people may know, he just signed a top 30 contract with the Melbourne Storm. That doesn't happen. Yeah. You don't get contracts with a club like that when you haven't played football for four years. That's right. Like it, he's had, I think, six Dolphins games. But what they said to him, and I was privy to parts of those conversations, is they're watching everything and it's you outside of football. So um, Bunny Character went, assessment, absolutely. not just player assessment. Yeah. So the first – the Melbourne Storm didn't even know he was playing again. So Bunny goes out, you know, one of their scouts, yeah, Paul. and he watches the um, the Wynnum game. So they're playing yep. against Wynnum. It's Jaden's first proper game back and he scores uh, three or four tries. He's all over the field and, and Bunny's like – Who's this kid? That's Nicarima. I didn't know he was playing it. He makes some phone calls. They go, we've got to watch. Next thing you know, they do a bit of research. They see Bro Camp. They listen to the Building Better Humans Project podcast I did with him, which was really raw, where his yeah. mum and dad spoke. And they're like, wow. And they said, we love everything you're about. And, and Bellamy said to him, 
this is the second time you've been offered a contract at the SOM. We don't normally do that. And nor do we take on people with behavioural issues because we're not here to sort people's yeah. problems out. But we see something in you. We don't think you're where you need to be NRL level, but we think we can polish something up. So they're going to give them a chance. Now, again, top 30 contract. Um, and they're kind of apologising, saying, we can't offer you probably what you're expecting. Yep. But we can offer you the minimum, which – and he's like, are you kidding? Yeah. Like, he's just such a different human. He's got a baby along the way. That. He's got a beautiful partner, Krista. His whole life's changed. Isn't that amazing? But he can now go and talk to other young people and go, I've made the mistakes. I've yeah. done all of that stuff. We hope you're enjoying this edition of Andy Raymond Unfiltered. Would you like to be part of our team? Our sponsorship packages are ready to go. From scripted ads to website placement and social media promotions – personal appearances, voice recordings, and more. The opportunities are limited really only by your imagination. You set the terms. Unfiltered is reaching hundreds of thousands of potential clients every single week, and we cater to businesses both big and small. We'll work with you to guarantee you get exactly what you want, how you want, and when you want. If you're interested, go to our website and hit the sponsorship tab at andyraymondunfiltered.com.au. So he's easily the best I've had. I've had other people come to me uh, and say, I want you to do for me what you did for Jaden. Oh, that's the wrong question right away because I didn't do anything for Jaden. I gave him some tools. Yeah. I've given hundreds of people tools, but what they do with them is up to them. Yeah. And this one guy said to me, I'll pay anything. And I said, but it's not, you can't pay your way out of where you're at. Mm. You've got to do the work. And Jaden just did the work. And even recently, like we're good mates, obviously. He's like, I view him as, he's the same age as, as Alyssa. Yeah. Um, and I just, you know, I view him as my son, I guess, but as a mate as well. And he'll message me and say, hey, can we do some work on some mindset stuff? And I, I'll be honest, he doesn't need it. Yeah. He's an absolute weapon. He's going to bring so much value to the Storm or any other club he goes to as a human. Already an autistic uh, – because him and Christian, my yep. son, are amazing together. Um, an autistic group in Melbourne's contact him saying, will you come and volunteer some time with us? Absolutely. Like the 19-year-old version of Jade would not have done that no. because what's in it for me? Yeah. You're not paying me? Are you kidding? Because I'm a, I'm a football star. Mm. And as a result, we get a lot of football players come through – um, who just want to be around this gym. It's just a normal gym, you know, that I own. And But it's the environment that they're around. It's the people. It's that no one fans over them. It's just do your bit the same as everyone else. There's a lot you can teach the NRL, I think, around culture and stuff if we wanted to dig into it. Yes, there is a mm. lot having been in the industry for 30-odd years. Uh, you mentioned Alyssa. I'm going to just go through her resume. At eight years of age, she became the youngest person across the Kokoda track. At 12, she climbed the 10 highest peaks in Australia. At 14, Mount Kilimanjaro. Then May 21st, 2016, attempt number three, Mount Everest, becoming the youngest Australian to do so. Pretty proud, old dad? Yeah, proud of um, – here's the thing I'm proud of with Alyssa is – I watched five years of hard work. Yep. Um, personally, we were going through a situation where her mother and I went through a divorce. So, And if anyone that's been through that, you know, it's a really tough period of time and it's not something I would recommend to anyone. No. And for men, young men out there, I spent a lot of time working on them, trying to help them with that stuff because it's such a, a tough period of time and it's one thing in my life I wished I'd done more work on before I got to there. But when it happened, it was absolutely unavoidable. But in the middle of all that, this kid's trying to climb Mount Everest and she just stayed true to that task. And there was – I went out with a girl in between who wasn't very – you know, it wasn't a very good relationship and it certainly wasn't good for Alyssa and she just stayed on task. She just – she had two attempts on Everest before that 
Uh, one was a natural disaster that killed 11 Sherpas, um, you know, mm. and they closed the mountain down. The next one was they had that earthquake that killed 10,000 people in the country. She got buried in her own tent in base camp. 21 people in base camp alone were killed. Now, this kid's 18 and she's dealing with all of this stuff. And so, I'm yes, I'm proud of her standing on the top of Everest. I, l- I look at her and I look at the vi- – she's got a little video that she took on a GoPro of her on top of Everest. She's got about 15 seconds of footage because everything else stopped working. It was minus 47 degrees. You know, gale force winds, and she got this little bit of footage. And I look at that, and even when I, you know, when she's at home, she doesn't live at home anymore. But when she's at home, I used to look at her and think, I can't believe that girl stood on the top of Mount Everest. And not only that, she did it twice because she did it two years later from the north route. She's the youngest woman in the world to do it from both routes. But it's what she went through to get herself there mm. that absolutely blows my mind. And I say this to people regularly about her or Jaden or anyone: these kids aren't freaks. They're not. Special, in my opinion, this is my belief. Yep. I don't believe that there are many humans in this world, if any, that are special. Yeah. I just think they have an insane work ethic, and yes. they have people that are willing to back them up to to follow that work ethic. And I just watched her go through stuff that most people wouldn't do. She'd regularly get. We got told we're doing the wrong thing. You, why are you allowing her to do this? This is my favorite one. Why would you allow your daughter to do that? And you go, well, hang on. You don't own another human, not even your children, and you get to guide them. And if they want to dream big, why wouldn't you let them? Because with children today, and she's not a child anymore, but with younger generation, we go, they're lazy. They all sit on social media. They're, just, they're different to us, of course, and we would have done the same thing if it was available to us. Mm. But every, though, isn't every it? generation said that. Yeah. You know, I remember when the internet first came around. I remember when colour TVs and mm. video cameras, and I remember all of that stuff as a kid. Walkmans, mm. you know, Discsmans, which were which were are fast compared to what we have today. Yeah. You remember all that stuff. Yeah. And, and your grandparents going, oh, you kids today, and now we're doing it. But when one of them reaches too far, it's like, oh, hang on a minute. Yeah. And and she actually said to me once, why do people constantly tell me that I oh, can't do this stuff mm. that she was trying to do? Because she was 14 when she said, I'm, I'm going to climb Mount Everest. And I just explained to her, I said, we all live in this sort of bubble and everyone's comfortable. But if you start to get outside that, it makes other people uncomfortable mm. and they just want to bring you back to the pack. Yeah. So I want you to achieve some stuff, but just don't be too crazy about it. And I don't think we do it on purpose mm. um, for the most part, but I'll give you an example. So when she's on her successful summit attempt, the ABC comes out and does a story on her. We're in Brisbane here. She's at Mount Cutha, they, and that's where they asked to do it. And can you – it might have been Channel 10. It was someone anyway. Can, and we'll just get you walking up Mount Cutha behind us with your backpack on, and this and the woman, the journalist, is going to talk to camera. So they do that. Yep. And then they film some B-roll footage of her just tra- traipsing around Mount Cutha, which is largely where she did her training for Everest. Yeah. And this guy writes on on their social media because social media interests me more from a human behaviour yeah. perspective than anything else. And he write there's there's all these people writing whatever, but some you know good on her or whatever. But someone wrote um, this guy writes that kid is kidding herself if she thinks that you can train for Mount Everest on Mount Cutha. So by that very logic, if you break it down, the only way you can climb Mount Everest is to climb Mount Everest. Mount Everest yeah. Um, my belief is more around that idea that you do what you can where you're at with what you've got mm. available to you and, and you hope that that's enough. Now, seven weeks later, she stood on the top of Mount Everest. So he was wrong. Yeah. Had she listened to him, and of course she wasn't going to, then of course she might never have tried that that's thing. Right. And that's a large problem in mm. society. But it gets better. 
after she successfully summits, Channel 9 are the first people to break it. I'm in New Guinea on the Kokoda track because we've got to pay for these things. Yeah. She's on Mount Everest. We satellite phone to each other, but then, and I let my admin girl know, hey, we'd pre written a post. So, because a lot of people are following Alyssa has successfully climbed Mount Everest. She's on her way down now. The job's not over yet until she gets back to base camp. Yeah. Channel 9 then break that news first in the mainstream media. And then when I got back, I read all the posts. And there's a, there's a large chunk of posts going, who cares? Which is cool. You don't have to care. There's a large chunk of posts going, hey, good on her. That's amazing. Yeah. There's a chunk of posts of people going, oh, it's easy now. There's ladders everywhere. Like, <laughs> okay. Oh. Um, but then there was this one guy and he wrote, damn, I was really hoping she would fail. And I remember thinking, what's wrong with you? Was it old mate from – I don't know who he was. I just tagged this guy. I, I looked at this guy's profile um, if I'm really honest, he looked like the who's that of society, not the who's who. He just yeah. looked like a just a normal everyday, probably forty odd year old bloke. And I think, why do you care enough about what a teenager's doing? But he, better than that, underneath another guy who we also didn't know went, "Yeah, me too." <laughs> and I thought, what are you doing? That you're sitting around hoping a 19 year old fails at something. I would prefer her to have a crack at that thing and fail, yeah, than for her to go. I would love to do that, but I just don't know if I'm good enough, so I'm not going to find out. That's not who we are, and mm. it's not who. As a result, now the athletes that I train, be they footy players or boxers, or that's not who they are. Mm. My team now of the people around us have become so powerful using that Ubuntu theory that one person helps the next person succeed. Yep. Um, example, and and you know Taylor Robinson, young boxer that I train, yep. Commonwealth Games bronze medalist, five time Australian amateur champion, twenty three mm. years of age. This kid. 75, 80 fights, fought all around the world, eight different countries, won gold medals in five of those countries. She's only 23. She's had three fights. She gets offered a fight against the current world number one in the WBA, world number five across all organisations, and we accept the fight because it's COVID, there's no other fights. We think we can win this fight. I'm getting bashed by people saying – you know, even mates might say, mate, you should not be taking this fight. This girl is going to get hurt and you're going to ruin her career. And I, that was a genuine fear mm. because she trusts me. But we had a good talk and she just said, I think I can beat her. She goes out, she has a blinder. She just yeah. loses a split points decision. I could argue for her to have won that fight or have lost that fight or a draw, you know, whatever. It was it was close. But the point is it shouldn't have been that close for a girl having her fourth fight against yep. the world number one. Yep. Jaden Nicarima comes in the corner with me. So I've got Paul Briggs and Brett Smith, two good boxing yeah. brains. But also Jaden's been with Tay from day one. Mm. And he comes in the corner and he messaged me afterwards and he said, mate, that whole experience has made me realise what I'm going to do when I go to the storm because I was nervous. Like four years out of the sport, can I go into the storm? That natural nerve kicked in for him. He said, then I watched this girl walk out on that stage and own that stadium and Mm. she lit that place up and she fought her heart out and and she did enough to win that fight or to just lose it, but it was close. That's how I'm going to approach the Melbourne storm when I get there. That's what our people do. So they're pushing each other. They're pushing each other. So he's Mm. running intervals with her. He's Now, she's not surrounded by other boxers, Mm. but she doesn't have to be. She's surrounded by professionals, by people that want her to win Mm. because if you win, I win. There's no ego in this for us. I – People had thought there was an ego for me to put Taylor in the ring. It was never about me. I couldn't care. I'm at an age where I don't care about me. Yeah. What I care about is that other people around me succeeding because if they're not, I should not be coaching other people in the Building Better Humans project. I shouldn't be talking to you about mindset if I'm holding the people around mm. me back. I had people say, so Jaden got offered contracts with other clubs, lower clubs, where he was guaranteed a run on. Yep. And people said, for the same money. 
And people said, you should have convinced him to go to one of those other clubs. And we're going, well, hang on. I love that Jaden's mindset was, I want to go to the best system. And I might not get on that field, but that's the system I want to be in, at yeah. least for a year to learn that's from them. building a better human, isn't that's, it? That's the mindset. He's not mm. scared of the challenge. I'm not going to go where I guaranteed to win. Taylor could have taken any other fight and won that fight. Mm. But she went for the top dog in the yard, and she didn't really lose that fight. Mm. It was We lost nothing out of that experience. Yeah. And she could only be that way because we believed in her and the people around her believed in her. And when she goes to battle, they all go to battle. Yep. You know, like it's just this amazing experience. I'm in an amazing part of my life. Go back 10 years when I was going through a divorce. Mm. Man, mm. I, like any bloke that's probably been through that and probably any girl, I can't speak for them, but I was at stages where I thought I could just drive in front of a truck coming the other way, driving between Toowoomba and Brisbane, and no one would know. Yeah. I had that experience because what's it all for? Like my life I felt was like at a rock bottom. And now I'm in this experience where I'm going, man, I'm surrounded by these young lions and lionesses, and I need to keep working hard to stay ahead of them because they look at me as their yeah. leader. You can't be their leader if you're not doing your work. Yeah. And, and and that's the that's the Ubuntu experience that we've built into what we do now. I read a quote in a book. I've literally just finished. The book was called Fearless, the story of former Navy SEAL Adam Brown. I loved it. The quote reads, Life is not a journey to the grave with the intention of arriving safely in a pretty and preserved body, but rather to skid in broad slide, thoroughly used up, totally worn out and loudly proclaiming, wow, what a ride. I love that. I love it. And it intertwines. I can see the parallels. I had a – my daughter, Alyssa, is a, a really interesting brain. Yeah. Um, and she's an intelligent girl, there's no doubt, but also the way she's handled stuff. And as a kid growing up and doing a lot of media, something similar she said once is people kept saying to her, why do this now? You've got the rest of your life to do this. And she used to say, but I've got the rest of my life to do everything else too. Yeah. And what she – I think had an understanding of is that we think we got the rest of our life, but once you're 30 and you've got kids and a mortgage mm. and you're maybe in a job that you hate and you've got, you can't just leave it because mm. I've got to pay the mortgage and we get ourselves in that trap. You can't just go and climb Mount Everest. No, you can't. Because you've got to worry about, well, what if I do die? Now, mm. I'm not saying she wanted to die, but she also knew at 19 the responsibility for her death was her. Yeah. It wasn't, she didn't have kids to look after. She had a level of freedom. But she also said to me once that, you know, Dad, what I don't understand is that people spend their whole life doing nothing, trying to get to 80 or, you know, we all know we're going to die, right? Yeah. So her concept was they're all trying to get to 80 or 85 or 90. They're trying to get to death as safely as possible. Yes. And her idea was, if something happens to me at 20 or 30, but I'm out having a red hot crack, I, that's what I would prefer to do. Yeah. And I get it. Like, And what I, we came to terms with in her situation was if she dies, that's really sad for us as her parents and as her family and as her – but for her, she's legitimately out having a red hot crack at life yep. in the way that she wanted to. Mm. So I would feel sad for missing her, but I wouldn't feel – feel sad for her. Yes. And that's really hard to get your head around. Yeah. But that, but I love that whole concept. We're all trying to get to death as safely as possible. Yeah. <laughs> no, nah, not here. Once again, you can find out more about Glenn, his team, his objectives and information at? Thebuildingbetterhumansproject.com.au. Social media? All social media. So I've just got Glenn Azar um, and then Building Better Humans Project on Instagram. But I'm very, very easy to track down. I keep everything very open. Yep. Um, you know, what I talk about, what I what I do, we live and breathe. It's literally who we are. It's been a pleasure. Good luck with your journey ahead, Legend. Thanks, mate. There you have it, another Andy Raymond Unfiltered podcast. We're the podcast that doesn't talk about the legends of the game. We're the one that talks with them. 
for you. Over the off-season, we've got two weekly podcasts. Tuesdays a Q&A day. Your questions, their answers. You legends are in complete control of the interview. Look out. Then the weekend story comes out. You guessed it, on the weekend. We're moving away from footy for this one and chatting with friends I've met along the journey. All with amazing, confrontational or emotional yarns, it proves you don't necessarily have to be a big name to have a big story. Before you go, we'd love for you to hit that five-star rating for us on the app you're listening on, on the way out. Write a review too, we'd love that. It helps us grow the brand and bring you more. Make sure you come back soon, legends. Legends.